Unexplained Encounters is a viewer submission podcast, and I want to hear your scariest stories of the unexplained. So send them to me at darkstories.org. Also, if you're on YouTube and you'd rather listen to this as a podcast, look for Unexplained Encounters on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks. You want to hear something weird? I got three submissions in a row about tunnels. I don't recall requesting tunnel stories specifically, so it's kind of strange that three different people throughout the world randomly happen to have tunnel-related experiences and also happen to post those stories one after the other. Maybe I'm just crazy, but I'm thinking this might be a tunnel conspiracy. I wonder where the tunnel goes. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails, where I can't decide which I dislike more, the ending to Game of Thrones or the ending to Attack on Titan. Today I've got an assortment of terrifying tales featuring a very disturbing incident at Niagara Parks, certain red doors you should never enter, and more. Now let's begin. The Tunnels from James R. I used to work with the Niagara Parks in Canada. I grew up in a tourist town, Niagara Falls, Ontario. I was a private tour guide, often for important people, even the occasional famous celebrity. Now, believe it or not, I was only 15 at the time. It was my first job and a major addition to my resume. We had an attraction called Journey Behind the Falls, where people could get up close to the falls and feel the thunder of the water. It was fun to say the least, even though I was wet most of the day. Anyway, I was put on the afternoon shift, basically from 2pm to 11pm. We have a section of tunnels that's closed off to the public, due to a fire we had years back, where supposedly two people perished. One night I was down in the tunnels, doing the usual rounds to make sure everyone was gone. It seemed like any other night, but the atmosphere was heavy, and it was hard to breathe. It felt as if I was choking. So I called out on my radio to get someone down there. However, I did not receive a response. I was about 75 feet below street level, and most don't get phone reception unless they're out on the viewing deck of the gorge, which was now gated shut because it was closing time. I tried not to think too much of it. I was feeling thirsty and hadn't drank much water. I then heard laughter, and I thought it was my co-workers, who came down to joke around with me. I yelled out, Hey, my radio isn't working. Can you guys come here and lock up the rest? I was tired, and I wanted to change out of my wet uniform and go home. However, I didn't receive a response. So I walked down the long tunnel, expecting to see my co-workers talking, only to smell smoke, followed by a blood-curdling scream. It sounded like it was coming from a man. I ran, only to see the gate to the closed area was shut. But smoke was seeping out through the little holes in the gate. Quickly, I grabbed the fire extinguisher from the elevator, rushing back. I heard pounding on the metal gate, as if someone wanted to get out. I used the extinguisher under the frame since I couldn't open the gate. I backed up, and suddenly, everything 
and I mean everything, calmed down. The atmosphere was normal again. There was no smoke coming out anymore. All you could see was white fire retardant. I rushed back to the elevator when I received a call on the radio. It was my supervisor who was now flipping out, saying he'd been trying to contact me for 15 minutes straight. I told him I was on my way up and that I was just double-checking everything. I ran back to the elevator, only to look back, and when I did, I saw a man with a hard hat, no arms, and leg bones exposed, half his face burnt off. I sprinted then, almost slipping on the wet ground, pressing the elevator button. When I made it back up, I ran to my supervisor's office. I told him what I'd seen. He slowly shut the door, and we talked for the last half hour. So, you've smelled it too? The smoke? I asked. Yes, he replied. And I've seen Isaac. Who's Isaac? I inquired. The man in the tunnels, all burnt up. His name was Isaac. He vanished during the fire. When we were installing a new power panel for the tunnels, he wasn't getting paid, so he smashed up the panel. It was damp, so it short-circuited, and the whole room caught fire within minutes. Isaac ran out screaming, half his body on fire from the wool sweater he was wearing, along with the harness that sealed his fate. He jumped over the rail into the gorge and the rocks, and the fast water held his body under. He was never recovered, never found. After hearing this story, after that experience, I put in my two weeks notice only two days later. Lexington Tunnel Man from Lay Bay Even though this event happened years ago, I still have nightmares about what could have happened. I had a couple of friends that were into the paranormal, just like me. We'd planned a road trip to do an investigation. I couldn't wait, especially after doing the research. The place we were going to check out is an abandoned railway tunnel up the highway in Lexington, Virginia. It's a party spot for the local young people. Some groups have, allegedly, been terrorized by a crazy old man trying to run them over in some kind of old car. Now, it's a well-known location for thrill-seekers, like my friends and I. No incidents have been reported recently, though. With nothing better to do, we were bored enough to try and taunt the old man. Two days later, I was on my way to meet up with them. We cheered while we got in their car and revved up the engine. Soon we were on a two-lane highway in anticipation. To add to the day's excitement, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. We made a pit stop halfway through. Coming out of the grocery store into the parking lot, Brandy's boyfriend decided that he wanted to drive the rest of the way. As he pulled out of the parking lot, Brandy and I were busy picking out our next playlist to jam to. So we were all looking down at my phone to pick out songs, Matt was putting his two cents in on our music choices. When I looked up at my phone, I was instantly confused. Matt was taking it about 80 miles per hour, making it difficult to gauge what was going on. 
Before long, we had the realization that Matt was on the wrong side of the highway. We were going north on the southbound, going towards oncoming traffic. I yelled in horror for him to stop. Brandy then spotted a turnaround for authorized vehicles and guided him there. Luckily, the highway didn't have much traffic flow that day. It was still startling enough to send adrenaline running through me, though. My friend Brandy took over driving after that. We should have known we were going to regret letting Matt drive. He'd really teed us off with that stunt. Half an hour later, the exit to our destination came up. It was definitely God's country. There must have been ten acres between houses filled with crops separating them. The GPS guided us off the main road and onto a gravel road. Everyone knows you're in the sticks upon seeing a non-state maintained road sign. We became cautious, because Brandy's car was definitely not meant for off-roading. Her tires were crap as well at the time. All in agreement that we didn't come all this way and have a near-death experience just to turn around now, we kept going. The car slid in the dugouts in the road. Before long, we finally made it to the tunnel. We got out, and I walked out to the other end of it. I saw that the gravel guiding the roadway faded into a grassy area, with a stream making its way through. I presumed this was a dead end, even though the path made a corner out of my line of sight. But I wasn't about to walk down and see for myself. I turned and walked to my friend and her boyfriend into the middle of the tunnel. They were laughing at some graffiti they'd found. We got comfortable enough to sit on the side of the road, about half a mile from our vehicle. I wanted to keep it in my line of sight. Call me paranoid or cautious. Time seemed to get away from us while we sat there, joking around, smoking, being silly and laughing. Our cautious feelings faded. The wooded area around the tunnel got significantly darker quickly. I hadn't even noticed until I looked away from my friends. Good thing we brought flashlights, I thought. Before we knew it, the forest became ominous, making us a bit jumpy. I could tell by then we were all getting bored, so the decision was made to take a break from our ghost hunting. I finally set the investigation aside and snatched a can of beer and the joint from my boyfriend's lips. I suppose that if this was just in fact an abandoned tunnel with no ghosts or anything abnormal, I might as well party like everyone else. We hung out on the grass between the tunnel and our car. We soon decided to pack up and head to our car. So much for sticking around and taunting the mysterious Cadillac man. With Brandy and I giggling together about being too scared to stay, we pointed our flashlights in the direction of the car as we walked. I then turned to look at the tunnel with my flashlight. I'm one of those people that takes that one last look. I just have to look back. Brandy and her boyfriend kept walking toward the car, making a bit of distance between them and I. After having my look, I adjusted my backpack and I turned around to catch back up. But before I took one more step, I heard gravel being crushed by a very slow-moving vehicle. I stood there listening harder. Lights from a car lit up the other side of the tunnel. The car stopped at the edge. A silent moment passed. I stood there petrified. Then the silence was broken by a short, powerful rev from the old engine. 
The Cadillac spun out in the gravel until it lurched forward in motion. After that, it's sort of foggy in my memory. The realization of what was happening hit me, flight mode kicked in, and I ran for my life towards my friends. We were still 100 yards from our own car. I slipped on the gravel. I stumbled forward a couple of feet before catching myself, and I could hear the gravel from the road being kicked up as that car made its way through. We all looked in horror as we made out the details of the vehicle. It was none other than an old faded Cadillac, and it was racing right towards us. The sound of the engine and the rocks being cast everywhere indicated that whoever was driving had sighted us. He switched on his brights, blinding me to the point where I had to put my hand in front of my eyes. I could not make out the details of the driver due to all the dust and rocks that were being kicked up. I'm pretty certain that all of us were in shock then, and in disbelief. We were basically deer caught in headlights. The driver revved the engine once again, erratically swerving over a pile of dirt beside the path. Clouds of gravel and dust were kicked up behind him. Common sense took over, and all of us jumped up, sprinting for our parked car. In the panic, I'd somehow lost my grip running and stumbled again. Everyone yelled at me to hurry. Fear had gripped us into clumsiness. Brandy fumbled for the keys in her pockets, yelling out profanities. Matt and my boyfriend were eagerly yanking on the door handles of the car. I picked myself up off the ground, still stumbling, when Brandy held up the keys and finally unlocked the car. My boyfriend was the first to make it inside, getting into the driver's seat. My two friends got into the back. I was the last to fling myself onto the passenger's side. I looked down at my hands, and I had blood rushing all down my arms and into my lap. After this event, I would need stitches. We continued to watch as the Cadillac disappeared, fading into a cloud of dust and dirt. We drove up the road slowly, as we anticipated this madman to be waiting for us down the road, perhaps hiding in wait for a second ambush. But he was long gone. When we reached the road, leading us to the highway, everyone was still trying to calm themselves down. I lit up a cigarette, and I stared out the window. Hey, guys, did you see the dead-end sign at the beginning of the tunnel road? Matt asked. Yeah, I did, I replied. So, where did he come from? Unless he had been there long before us, what had he been doing back there that whole time? just waiting in the darkness for us to straggle away from the group to attack? There were no houses or anything on that road. The next time we all hung out together, we were able to laugh at the whole experience. It was certainly weird and terrifying. Seems like the rumors online about the creepy old Cadillac were true. If it wasn't a spirit of some sort, perhaps some psychotic creeper had been watching us the entire time. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, 
Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Tunnel from Quinn S. When I was a teenager in high school, my friends and I enjoyed urban exploring around our town. We all lived close to each other in a very safe suburban neighborhood on the west coast of the United States. We would often explore our local parks and trails, feeling comfortable almost everywhere we went. Just your ordinary, peaceful, and overall boring American suburbia. However, there was this one place, a favorite of ours to hang out and explore. It was a long and dark drainage tunnel across the street from our local community park. It never gave us any bad vibes, and we always had a good time walking from end to end in the quiet darkness of that damp tunnel where few other people ever ventured. The tunnel stretched nearly half a mile before we emerged on the other side, leading us to a channel where stormwater and runoff drained into the ocean. The entrance was narrow, and we had to crouch down to get through, but it quickly opened up to a vast cavern with concrete walls covered in elaborate graffiti. Sunlight shone through a metal grate above, and a seemingly endless stretch of darkness lay in front of us. For reference, this tunnel was large enough and tall enough to fit a decent-sized truck or SUV inside. Sometimes we would ride our skateboards through the tunnel with headlamps strapped to our helmets to light the way. We were adventurous teens, unafraid of the dark, and we never did get a bad vibe from that place. We enjoyed many walks and rides through the tunnel, especially during hot Southern California summers. It offered a cool escape from the sun. One day, my friend and I decided to take a walk through that tunnel, just the two of us, but when we arrived, instantly, we both felt a sense of dread. Something was off. The tunnel had never felt like this before. The moment we stepped out of the light and into the darkness, we shivered, and the feeling of impending doom grew stronger the deeper we went. Being naive and intrepid kids, we nervously shrugged it off and pressed forward. Armed only with our cell phone flashlights, we ventured on. The further we traveled, the darker it got. Shivers ran up and down my spine, my heart pounded, and a sense of danger overwhelmed me. My intuition screamed at me like a rabbit locking eyes with a wolf about to pounce. I could sense something lurking in that darkness, reaching out for my very soul. It was incredibly dark, darker than ever before, and even our flashlights seemed to dim as if something had been draining their battery life. My friend and I quickened our pace, not speaking a word, just understanding each other's thoughts and feelings. We just had to get out. 
It was too late to turn back, so we decided to keep moving toward the other side. Then, this dark mass emerged from the shadows, illuminated by our dim cell phone lights. It was a shopping cart, but this cart held something burned to a crisp, a charred mass that seemed to be meat and bones. I couldn't identify it. We did not want to stay any longer, as the dreadful feeling became unbearable and tears welled up. The atmosphere there was so heavy, it felt as if the oxygen was being sucked away from our lungs. Then we saw it. The burned shopping cart and its contents were placed in the middle of a pentagram, which had been painted on the tunnel floor. We snapped out of our shock and sprinted then toward the light at the tunnel's end, even though we still had about a quarter mile to go. It felt like mere seconds before we were back in fresh air and sunlight, gasping for breaths. My lungs burned. My heart raced. I was so relieved to be out. The place that once brought us joy had become haunted by something terrible. I haven't returned to that tunnel in years. The narrow entrance has been barred off now, and whenever I'd go back to that place anyway, stepping into the darkness, I could feel that dreadful presence and malicious gaze again. Something invisible seemed to be living in the tunnel's darkness, waiting, watching. A few more friends went through the tunnel not long after our initial experience. While I can't personally confirm this since I wasn't there, they both swore that they felt the same thing we had described. They claimed to have heard whispers and calls from the darkness as if they were being watched the whole time. The only constant was the pentagram painted on the floor. The burnt shopping cart and its contents were nowhere to be found. Braving the Shadows From Ralix 300 It all began when I was a small child. I've always had these paranormal experiences. I would sometimes see dark shadows or hear things. In fact, one night I woke up to my bed shaking. All of these things I've never been able to explain completely. My main story here begins when I was about eight or nine years old. Back then, I was utterly fascinated by the paranormal and witchcraft. I know without a doubt I must have opened doors to things that I was not aware of. It began with ghost stories, photos, then witchcraft, spells, incantations, and Ouija boards. I began seeing things and hearing things on a regular basis in a new house we moved into. The place was an old farmhouse with brick siding, large floor-to-ceiling windows, and a spiral staircase. I had eight brothers and sisters, and they too claimed to see dark figures lurking at night, but they shrugged it off, not knowing what it was. But I knew. One night I was lying in bed, having fallen asleep. My bed was up against the wall, and I faced the other end of the room. I woke up suddenly. It was dark, but there was an even darker shadow at the other end of my room. I squinted, blinking, because it was plainly a dark shadow figure I was looking at. These figures always looked like the shadows of a person, never objects. I knew these shadows well, as strange as that sounds. I saw them all the time at night. This has happened so frequently 
that instead of running away, I closed my eyes, which is what I did then. I didn't want to get up, and I didn't want to be more afraid than I had to. Eventually, I fell asleep again. When I woke up once more, it was still dark, but the even darker shadow was still there, closer than before. Instead of the other end of the room, it was in the middle of the room. I turned my head away then, determined to not be afraid. Like I said, this happened nightly, so I was used to it and had read stories of people befriending such ghosts. As an eight-year-old, I thought maybe if I didn't react to it, it wouldn't bother me. So I tried to go back to sleep and succeeded once more. But again, I woke up and the dark figure was closer than ever. At this point, it was right next to my bed, practically standing over me. I was frozen with fear then. There was no fighting it. I was scared out of my mind. My heart pounded. Unsure of what to do, I sat there frozen until I felt a pressure over my legs. I can't explain it as well as I would like, but it felt as if something was lying on top of me, but the figure wasn't moving at all. I decided then that being brave was not worth it, and I got up and ran to my parents' room. Only recently have I tried to speak of these experiences, but everyone likes to tell me perhaps I was sleeping, dreaming, hallucinating. After that, I never tried to be brave against those things again. The Time We Were Attacked From Cryptic Cutter 69 I'm a 25-year-old half-native woman who has been practicing spiritual medicine since I turned 18. I'm very used to having entities trying to attach themselves to me, but on the night in question, what happened takes the cake. My partner and I, let's call her Delilah, listen to stories like this every night. They're a good way to help me fall asleep, and I've done so going on three years now. Recently, we just moved to a decently suburban part of West Virginia. Now, growing up, I was always told there is power in names, but for me, I personally always laughed it off. So that's why this is so hard to wrap my head around. Delilah likes to garden, and she knew I used to live in Arizona, so she bought us both a cactus apiece, which we kept outside. I've been taking care of them for some time. In retrospect, we really didn't connect the dots here until after all this happened. So one night, after having absolutely horrible dreams, we woke up to find her cactus lying on the ground, the flower seemingly purposely ripped out, lying on the ground beside it. We didn't know what to make of it, so we moved on with our day. Fast forward to many more nights of constantly feeling uneasy in the house at night. We were lying in bed, just talking. It just so happened to be Father's Day, and my father has been gone a while, so it was a really tough day for me. Looking back, we think that's why it chose that night. Delilah had been in a lot of pain, and my emotional state was less than ideal for sure. I kept getting this creepy feeling there was just something staring at me in my own home. I couldn't shake that feeling, no matter how hard I tried. This sense of absolute sickness just overtook me, and eventually, exhausted, I fell asleep. Delilah woke up at 3am, and so did I. And there we saw it. 
This thing was sitting on the edge of our bed, just mere feet away from us. The entire room felt like a morgue. Delilah is a heavily spiritual person as well, and has several spirit guides, one of which is a bear. We looked at each other, and we started working silently together. We had to banish this tall, lanky, pitch-black, one-eye-having nightmare from our home. We felt as though we were being spiritually attacked, and so we fought back with everything we had. The room went solid white, and we heard a bear-like roar. This was very loud. But just like that, it was over. The thing was gone. We are currently blessing our home so this thing doesn't come back. I've been faced with many things in my lifetime, up to and including skinnies, but this has got to be the most terrifying encounter of my life, knowing that this thing entered our home. The Red Room From Ginny Last month, my sister and I made one of the worst decisions we've ever made, which led us into something traumatizing. It all started when my sister, who we'll call Sarah, suggested that we try to recreate the show Ghost Adventures. She and I had been huge fans of that show since we were young, so naturally I agreed. First, we began to search online for places near us that would be easy to access and would likely have some supernatural activity. Once we found a location, I realized it was only three blocks away from our family home. This puzzled me, since I thought I had the entire town memorized. I'd never noticed an abandoned hospital before. After selecting our destination, Sarah and I went through our dad's old spirit-detecting equipment from his youth. A few of the instruments had stopped working, but three were still in pretty good condition. We gathered our things and decided to take our bikes, as the hospital wasn't too far away. Upon arriving at the abandoned hospital, Sarah and I noticed it was completely surrounded by a forest. We were quite confident that no one would find out we were sneaking in. As soon as we set foot on the hospital grounds, a putrid smell of mold and decay attacked us. Sarah and I were prepared for this, however. We put on face masks, covering our mouths and noses. While Sarah went into one direction, I headed the opposite way after informing her of my plans. I walked through the empty halls for a few minutes until I stumbled upon an odd-looking door. This door stood out because of its distinctive crimson color, unlike any other I'd seen so far. After a moment's hesitation, I decided to take a look inside. Slowly turning the handle, the door emitted a loud screech, as if it hadn't been oiled in over a century. The room beyond was pitch dark, so I fumbled around in my bag for a flashlight. Once I found it, I turned it on, pointing it inside. I jumped back in shock when the light illuminated what appeared to be a corpse. I might have been mistaken, but I swear that corpse looked exactly like the girl who went missing last summer. Panicked, I bolted back in the direction of my sister, searching every corner of the halls. At first, I saw no sign of her, but then I found another room with a crimson red door. Without hesitation this time, I flung the door open and discovered Sarah lying right in front of the doorway. She was cold and lifeless, 
I immediately checked her pulse and didn't feel anything. Overwhelmed, I started to cry, not knowing what to do. I decided to pull Sarah out of the room and into the hallway. As soon as her entire body was out of that room, she gasped for breath and sat up. I looked at her through teary eyes and she asked me what happened. I told her it didn't matter at the moment, that we needed to get out immediately. That night, I decided to sleep in Sarah's bed with her because I was still shaken by what had happened earlier. I recounted everything to her. She thanked me for saving her life. I don't know what occurred that day, but I'm very grateful I did not step into that room. Sleepover from Clark M. I was invited to a sleepover at a friend's house. I'd never stayed with him before, so I was a bit nervous. We were going to sleep in his basement on the cement floor, so I had to bring my sleeping bag. I was excited to be invited and was ready to enjoy this adventure with the zeal of a preteen. His sister had a friend over too. They were older, more mature than us. At the time, his parents were not home, but it didn't seem out of the ordinary. His sister and her friend asked us to play a game with them that would apparently allow us to explore our sixth sense. We would guess numbers and colors to see if we had any psychic powers. We didn't. It was pretty much a joke. After that, we watched TV for a while. Eventually, it was time to go to bed. My friend told me to get my sleeping bag and head with him downstairs. I was getting tired, so it sounded like a great plan. So I grabbed my sleeping bag, which I had left at the top of the stairs that went to the basement. It didn't budge. That's weird, I thought. I pulled and yanked on it as hard as I could, but it seemed like it weighed 1,000 pounds. I looked around to see if it was stuck on something, but there was nothing touching it, just the shag carpet. I looked at my friend then, and his face was serious. He said to just leave it there. I asked him what was wrong. He shook his head and told me again to just leave it alone. I did as he said, and we both went downstairs. He had an old couch and a couple of blankets for me, so I didn't question him. We didn't talk about what had happened. We watched late night shows with the lights on. Eventually, I drifted off to sleep. When we woke up, we headed upstairs, and his mom was making breakfast for everyone. I didn't want to say anything about what happened with my sleeping bag, but I understood I would need to try to grab it when my dad came to pick me up. After eating, his mom called my home and said my dad was on the way. I watched for him out the living room window. I saw him pull up to the front of the house. I told my friend goodbye and hesitantly went to grab my sleeping bag. When I did, it lifted right off the ground, as if it was simply a folded blanket. I felt relieved and also confused. I said goodbye and thanks for having me over, and I went on my way. To this day, I have no idea how that happened. Paranormal or Not From K Frosty 3 I would like to preface this short story with a bit of background of where this takes place 
I would also like to say I'm a huge skeptic of anything supernatural, and currently I do not follow any religion. This encounter did not happen to me, but to my boyfriend. I'm a 29-year-old woman, and my current boyfriend is 25. We had to recently move in with my parents due to the housing market being so unaffordable. I moved out of their current house when I was 26 and into another house which I sold this year. My parents and I moved into this current house beginning of my senior year of high school. The house is absolutely beautiful and very spacious. I never really had any strange experiences in the house until I was around 22. You see, I dated a guy back then who I think was actually being haunted by a ghost. We would hear screaming across the house. Mind you, my parents' room is all the way across the house. I would even text my mom at the time, asking her if she heard anything weird. But she hadn't. Me and my boyfriend at the time heard it plain as day. We would hear banging on the front door, but no one would be there. There were a few things that have happened in this house, but again, I'm not fully convinced it was paranormal. Back in 2019, when I bought my first house, I lived there until March of this year. Occasionally, we would see shadow figures in the house. None of them were ever malicious or bad. It was almost like seeing a little shadow cat. Now, I currently have three cats. Two of them happened to be black, but when we would see these shadow cats, our real cats were never in the same room. These shadows would always show when we were cleaning. I would see this little figure out of the corner of my eye. It was always like it was just checking us out to see what we were doing. Once it would vanish, my actual cats would go where it was and just stare. They would never get upset or anything, so I figured it was maybe just a ghost cat saying hi and wanting to play. Again, even after experiencing all this, I'm such a huge skeptic on everything supernatural. I still try to find the scientific logic of it all. When we moved back in with my parents, nothing really happened at first. Mind you, we've only been here since the beginning of April this year. I keep selenite above our bedroom door when you walk in, as it is known to clear energies. I also have one placed in the window, just in case. You never know. I know some might be thinking, why do you have crystals if you don't believe in the supernatural? Well, my brain is very hard to explain sometimes. Sorry. A couple of weeks ago, I got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. There's a bathroom attached to our room, and honestly, I don't remember checking the time. The shower in our bathroom looks like a cave. You walk around a corner into the shower. No doors, no windows in it. It's pitch black in there. I don't turn the light on out of respect for my snoring other half, so it's pretty dark. I was doing my business and facing the shower entrance when I see a dark shadow darker than the shower itself. It didn't move. It just stayed right where it was. No face, no features, nothing. Just a dark blob. I was half asleep, still trying to figure out if my mind was playing tricks on me, since I was still tired. So I hurry up and nope out of the bathroom, climbing back into bed. I hadn't seen or felt anything since then, until just last night. Typically, we climb into bed around 7 or 8 p.m., watching TV, or he usually games or watches videos while I read. Last night, we probably fell asleep around 10 p.m., 
We had my older female cat in the room, who's all black. She randomly gets in the window and tries to get behind the blinds. My boyfriend hears her and gets out of bed to kick her out of our room. He got back into bed and went to sleep. Now, normally I'm a very light sleeper, and the slightest noise wakes me up. I woke up when he kicked her out, then I went back to sleep. According to him, he woke up around 3 in the morning, the witching hour. He said he saw a small female figure by our door. Next to this door is a cubby stand with drawers. On top of it is my jewelry box and a picture of us. There had also been a half-full bottle of water on it as well. He said that when he opened his eyes, this doll-looking figure was playing with the water bottle. She stopped when she realized he was looking at her. She then turned, raised her arms about shoulder height. He then said his body was paralyzed. He tried to wake me up, yelling my name, but all that came out of his mouth was a garbled noise. Now, I had no idea any of this was going on. Like I said, I'm usually a light sleeper. The slightest noise or movements wake me up. He told me that he thought the girl was me, so he was able to move his foot to slide it to me to see if I was in bed. Well, I was. Needless to say, he was freaked out. Then, all at once, poof, she disappears into thin air, and he was able to move again. He swears up and down that this wasn't a dream, that it was real. He believes she was some kind of spirit or demon. I know sleep paralysis can do some crazy things, but he's never had sleep paralysis before. Prior to me, he's had his own experiences, and he does believe in the supernatural. But I think I'll always be skeptical, though I hope one day I'm not. Was it the Grim Reaper? From Fellow Catholic My family has been devoted Catholics for as long as I can remember. I feel it's important to note that I genuinely believe in Jesus Christ and salvation. What happened to me in this story was nothing short of a heavenly intervention. However, everyone is entitled to their own beliefs, and I ask you to consider this while reading the following account. I'm a guy in my 20s. My girlfriend and I, after a long day, were both exhausted around 4pm one evening. She decided to take a nap, and I planned to join her soon after. As I was reading the Bible and found a stopping point, I decided to say a quick prayer. While praying, I experienced an overwhelming sense of peace and happiness. It was an incredible feeling of tranquility and freedom from worry. For that moment, everything about my human life seemed to fade away leaving only me and God. After this powerful experience, I fell asleep. However, things took a turn from there. Our bed is positioned in a corner, and I was facing away from my girlfriend, looking toward the other side of the room. Suddenly, I opened my eyes and felt fully awake. I quickly realized what was happening. Sleep paralysis. I've had this happen numerous times in my life so I was familiar with the sensation. However, this time was different. This episode felt like a mixture of a dream, a hallucination, and reality. After waking up, I glanced around and noticed a shadowy figure on the south side of my room, closest to the door and closet. I figured this was the start to a hallucination, 
so I tried to turn over to face my girlfriend, but I couldn't properly move yet. I blinked, and to my alarm, the shadowy figure had moved closer to me. This time, I could see every detail. As soon as I looked at it, I recognized it resembled what we commonly refer to as the Grim Reaper. The figure was tall and wide, with a smoky, shadowy form. It lacked a face, but instead had a void covered by a hood, which was frayed at the edges. The figure wore a dark robe that seemed to blend into its form. Its hands were long and sharp, extending up to its wrists within the robe. It gazed at me, and upon seeing it, I managed to turn my face towards my girlfriend so as to not look at it. I shut my eyes too, waiting for the experience to end. Nonetheless, I could feel the gaze of that presence fixed on me. The fear I felt was beyond words. After a long while, I was suddenly thrown about and the figure grabbed me by the neck, suffocating me. However, the sensation around my neck was not painful. In fact, it didn't feel like there was anything around my neck at all. Despite my attempts to gasp for air, nothing worked. Realizing that my end was near, I made my peace with death. The feeling of immense freedom in that moment is indescribable. As I felt myself losing consciousness, I ceased to feel like a person or even a physical thing. My eyes repeatedly opened and closed in a struggle to stay awake as I sensed myself being pulled away from this world. All I could see was my dresser against the wall, positioned in front of me, just behind the shoulder of the shadowy figure. Suddenly, a single thought crossed my mind. Jesus Christ. I silently uttered his name, entrusting my entire existence to him, willing to submit to his will. If this was to be my end, then so be it. Then it happened. Just as I was about to fade away, during one of my blinks, a man appeared behind the shadow. An elderly-looking man, perhaps in his seventies. He appeared thin, enveloped in a white glow that I can't exactly describe as light. But it seemed to radiate. I could only see his upper half, as the shadow obscured his lower half. He wore a buttoned white shirt that appeared to be made from the finest, smoothest silk. He had short, dark hair and seemed to sport some kind of hat. He gazed right at me with a neutral expression. As I locked eyes with him, he returned my gaze, piercing into my soul. Just as this happened, I snapped awake, gasping for air, with my girlfriend next to me, asking if I was okay. I recounted everything to her when she inquired. She mentioned that while I'd been asleep, I was twitching and jittering extensively. She hadn't thought much of it, as she has seen me do that before. But she did note she had never seen it so intense. This experience has profoundly changed me, forever deepening my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't claim to be a saint, but I believe that my small measure of faith as a man saved me that day. Campground Stalker from Boston Terrier 1 I've only ever shared this story until now with one other person, my wife. When I was 12 years old, I lost my father to an illness, and I witnessed his passing in the hospital. Our relationship had never been great, and my young life had already been marked by a lot of trauma due to him. 
While I can't be certain if this made me more susceptible to what I encountered that summer, it's the only explanation I can come up with. I attended a sleepaway camp with my sixth grade class on Cape Cod. The first night there was uneventful, and nothing out of the ordinary happened. However, on the second night, I found myself unable to fall asleep. I tossed and turned in my bed, looking out the window beside my bunk. It was then I spotted something high up in a large pine tree. It appeared to be a tall, lanky, very skinny-looking man. He held a cane and wore what appeared to be a bowler hat. Our eyes locked, and it felt like we were right next to each other. The terror I felt was overwhelming. I tried to convince myself what I had seen was not real. I pulled the covers over my head and repeated the phrase, it's not real, it's not real, in my mind. Slowly, I lowered the covers to peek out, and there it was, standing upright on the branch. This pine tree had to be around 60 feet tall, and this entity, whatever it was, must have been 10 to 15 feet tall. Once again, our eyes met, and I was paralyzed with fear. I quickly shut my eyes, covering my head once more. Trembling and terrified, the seconds ticking past felt like hours. Then, I heard tapping on the window. Still repeating, it's not real, it's not real, in my mind, I mustered the courage to uncover my head. To my horror, it was now standing right by the window. This thing had bright yellow eyes, jagged shark-like teeth that were as yellow as those eyes, and a terrifying voice. Little Mikey, come outside. How did this creature know my name? How did I hear its voice when its mouth never moved? It simply sported this horrifying smile on its face. I was petrified, unable to move then, but I gathered every ounce of courage and strength I had, and before long, I was able to will myself to jump from my bunk and race to the bathroom, where there were no windows. Once there, I locked the door, and I stayed there until morning. It's been 26 years since that incident, and I've never encountered it again. I hope I never do. Something was attached to my daughter. From Laura Tay. Look, I'm not the type of parent who lets their kids watch anything violent. And at the time of this story, the most violent game my kids owned was Ben 10. Also, I believe in the paranormal. I believe spirits can interact with the living. My story starts early January 2021. It was just after Christmas, during Australia's Christmas holidays. My daughter, let's call her Pip, had just turned six, not even a month prior. It was about midnight, maybe a bit later. That was the first night of these events. My daughter woke up crying. I was still awake, reading fan fiction on my phone, so I got up and walked to her bedroom to check on her. What's wrong, Pip? I asked. She couldn't talk at first. She was sobbing too much. Once she calmed down, she said something that still gives me goosebumps. Things like to be around me when it's dark. 
she said. I remember rubbing her back, reassuring her that she was okay, that it was just a dream. But once she went back to sleep, I legged it out of her room. Number one mother right there. I was up thinking most of the night why she would say something like that. Where could she have possibly heard it? The next morning I asked her about it, but the confused look she gave me in response told me she probably didn't remember. So I chalked it up to a nightmare. That was until that night when she woke up again, same time, crying once more. And like before, I got up and went to check on her. I, I slammed into it, she said through her tears. Slammed into what? I asked, confused. The weapon. I really didn't know what to say here, but I reassured her that she was fine. I rubbed her back until she went to sleep. Now, these events went on for four weeks. Pip would wake up twice every single night, the first time being between midnight and 2am, the second time being between 2.30 and 3.30. Some mornings she would even wake up with bruises and scratches. But like clockwork, every single night she would say creepy things just the same. It was this night where I'd had enough. I was starting to get freaked out. Pip had woken up screaming. Finn, stop pulling my hair. Stop it. She yelled. I jumped out of bed. Honestly, I thought I was waking up to break up a fight between siblings. But I wasn't expecting to find Pip facing into one of the corners of her bedroom. Finn was nowhere in sight. I froze. Pip? She just turned around, climbed into bed, and didn't say a word. I checked on Finn then, who sure enough was asleep in his own bed. The next day, I had jokingly written on Facebook that my house was haunted. It was that day one of the mothers from Pip's old preschool messaged me. She said she thought something might be attached to Pip. I sighed with relief. This is what I truly believed too at that point. But saying that to other people just makes you sound crazy. Let's call this mother Mary. Mary told me she's able to help by clearing the negative energy in spirits. She was just about to launch her very own business, doing just that. She explained she would be able to tune into Pip's energy and would be able to heal and cleanse. It was over an hour after that when she messaged me back, stating that was a much bigger job than she expected. Here's her direct message. Names and locations have been changed. Well, that was way bigger than I anticipated. Do you live in the West Burton Estate, opposite the monastery? As soon as I connected in, there was a huge overlay of energy, made up of many lost souls. It was all connected to the land there, along with some horrible happenings in the past. It was also connected to the O'Sherry's Lodge area, and all around the area of the estate. Some very strong negative energies and past happenings there, even back to the aboriginals, and what happened to them there, as well after the first lot were cleared. Many kids were involved in the first lot of energy, and most of the lost souls were children. So it ended up being a huge healing. Healing the land, releasing the negative energy that held things there, and helping all the lost souls find their way. Lots of cleansing and healing and protective energy done. Also cleansed and protected your house and Pip's room. 
Pip's healing specifically on her was crystals for cleansing and protecting the third eye and solar plexus, cleansing and healing the auric field. Her aura is really strong now, which should help protect against negative influences and spirits. Also did lots of protection energy for her. I did some work moving the spirits specifically attached to her on, but they've gone now. I find praying for divine love and intervention always helps, and I always use it in my healings. I hope this helps. Please let me know how she sleeps tonight, and if she or you have any more trouble. Spirits can be sneaky. I'll check back in tomorrow. Hearing all this floored me. She didn't know I lived in West Burden, across from the monastery. I didn't know about the history, but looking up about O'Sherry's Lodge and the aboriginal history in the area after this encounter, I understand why there might be so many lost souls. Also, after Mary did this, there was nothing. Pip stopped waking up crying. There were no more creeping things going on in our home. And the day after, Pip woke up and said, That cat didn't attack me last night. I never told her that I'd spoken to Mary, and since she didn't remember the nighttime events the next morning, I never brought it up to her. But she at the time was completely obsessed with cats. My theory is maybe the spirit, or whatever it was, was coming to her as a cat. She's eight and a half now, and nothing has happened since. And I hope it never does again. The Hellhound from Death Raptor 2004. I'm a student at a government-funded trade school on the Pacific coast of the United States. These incidents seem to have been ongoing since before I ever arrived on campus. It's worth noting there are no wolves, coyotes, or stray dogs in the vicinity of the campus. We do, however, encounter a variety of wildlife, such as black-tailed deer, bald eagles, crows, gulls, raccoons, and other critters. My first encounter with this entity happened around two months ago, when I was living in my initial dorm room around midnight. The room was situated at the end of the hall, and the large window faced the dense forest surrounding the campus. One night, as I lay in bed with my roommate asleep in the bed next to me, I heard an unusual noise coming from the hallway outside our room. The sound resembled claws tapping against the tile floor. This was a sound I was familiar with from my parents' place, as they had a dog whose claws would tap on the hardwood floor. However, these sounds were much heavier and made me uneasy. Considering that dogs were not allowed on the premises, including for staff, and that there were no wild canids in the area, this was perplexing. Why were we hearing these footsteps, and why were they within the building itself? Concerned, I woke my roommate and explained what I'd heard. Surprisingly, he confirmed that he'd heard it too. So you're also hearing it? He exclaimed as I opened the door to look into the hallway. I found nothing out there. I inquired about his response, and he went on to describe how he'd heard the same tapping noises multiple times around the same hour. He also mentioned hearing deep howls echoing in the night. We began discussing and hypothesizing about what we were both encountering, ultimately concluding that we were experiencing hellhound activity after eliminating all possible natural explanations. Our campus had a history filled with tragedy and loss within the past 90 years, which we believed might be attracting negative entities, 
like the suspected hellhound, to the campus. Subsequently, I began inquiring with others, attempting to find out if anyone else had faced or witnessed what we dubbed the hound. Surprisingly, I encountered a considerable number of individuals who had undergone the same experiences we had. One person even claimed to have seen it. After gathering this information, a dozen people from the dorms had shared their experiences about the hound. Concluding our investigation, things returned to normal for about a week, until the weekend arrived. While lying in bed again with the window open, I finally heard the sound I had been expecting ever since my roommate had mentioned the howls we'd heard. The deep, guttural growl, just as he had described. I shared this with my roommate the next morning, and he confirmed that he was awake and had heard it too. I even consulted my fiancé, who approaches matters from a critical and scientific perspective, but even she was unable to determine its identity. I'm fairly convinced this is a hellhound, or at least another form of ghost dog. However, my roommate and I have since relocated from that room, and I haven't experienced any activity since. Thanks for listening to Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us in a number of other ways. You can go to eeriecast.store to buy some creepy t-shirts or coffee mugs. Go to eeriecast.com to listen to and follow this show and our other scary podcasts on your favorite podcasting app, or follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails for more screams and memes. Before I go, be sure to send me your scariest stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.